Or mine. Sorry, I was adjusting. <laughs> I am Becky Standall, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Elizabeth Partridge, Adult Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. Hello. Well, hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. Good. Pretty good today. It's June 3rd. It's Daniel's birthday. Yay. Happy birthday, Daniel. Happy birthday, Daniel. Um, and today we're going to be talking about some stuff we talked about. We recorded two weeks ago mm-hmm. or thought we were recording. I don't know what happened there. Well, it did record. It just doesn't remember recording. So it uh, recorded 10 minutes, but tells you that it recorded 45 minutes. And that, that ten minutes probably isn't quality content. It's, it's um, you know. <laughs> oh boy, banter, banter. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the books we'd read for that time again, and then today we're going to talk about our Goodreads Choice Award winners, right? Correct, and um. Yes, that is correct. And you know, I forgot which awards mine won. I will have to look. I, I might have actually written it down. I will look in my little book. Cool. Um, but before we get to that, you want to talk about the library? Yeah, let's talk about the library. Did, and you saw the email we got this morning, right? No. I'm working till late tonight, so I, this is the first work I've done today. Oh, okay. So um, Chris sent out the governor's um, phase two for libraries instructions. So oh. we actually have a little bit of guidance in terms of what we're doing to serve the public. Well, that's cool. It is cool. It is cool. And we're doing it right. You are. Yeah. But definitely what we're going to want to do. And and I only mention this now because we have a a department head meeting later today. So remember this, (laughs) the safety things there's we're supposed to have weekly safety meetings for staff um, Mm -hmm. that they actually sign off on having attended. So we'll have to figure out how that's going to be accomplished. Mine was for nonfiction, I think. I'm going to look it up just to be sure. Mine was for science fiction. Um, so, yeah, this week we, we've we been starting our, our drive-through pickup pilot, and it's been um, pretty smooth going. Has it? Um, Has it been yeah, good? Yeah. It's been good. Monday was, like, our busier day. Yesterday we, we probably only had, like, six people come through. But that's what we were expecting. So we had some other projects, stuff we were working on at the same uh-huh. time. Oh, cool. um, and then tonight um, is our our last day of the first week. Mm-hmm. 
but I think it's it's working out really well. It's nice to see people like you, mm. you know they're just in their car and we're outside, but it's really and even like calling people to tell them last week made me really think about <laughs> how like this just the small number of people I've been talking to for the last three months. Yeah, it's been like you know I could count them on my hands. Right. Um. So it's like I'm remembering why I like to work with the public. Mm-hmm. They're delightful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about kind of along those same lines. I was thinking about Axel and how he has not um, the only building aside from our house that he has been in um, since this started is uh, he's been to the library three times. And that's it. He doesn't go into grocery stores. He doesn't see any other people except those people. And, you know, for a kid, that's, that's weird. Yeah. I haven't done uh, any of the phase two stuff other than, you know, uh, the work component, Mm -hmm. you know, restaurants or anything like that. Right. Um, well, since we have those, Oh, yesterday I went to pick up food to go. And there were people eating inside the restaurant. I was like, yeah. what is this? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're operating at 50% capacity. It's great. I yeah. I, do. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I just, I got mine to go. I was like, no, yeah. I'm good. I'm just going to take Not it. ready. Not ready for this yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have a little bit of anxiety when I think about heading out into things. And that kind of brings up the protesting that's happening right now. I have a lot of anxiety about people becoming ill. Uh, and I understand um, and, you know, fully support the need to, to protest. But at the same time, I feel so scared for people getting sick um, with something that potentially could hurt them and kill them. You know, I I worry, worry a lot for the people who are out there with no masks on right up next to each other. You know, I wish, I wish <laughs> if you're going to protest more power to you, but put on a freaking mask. Okay. Yeah, Just yeah. do that for me. Do it for me. <laughs> do it for all the moms. Exactly. <laughs> we're all dying out here. It's like, you know, we want to protest with you, but we're taking masks for us and for you and for all your little friends. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Matilda and she's like, mom, can I go? And I'm like, okay, Matilda, here's, here's how I'm feeling right now. And I was like, you need to do what you need to do, but, but if you're going to go, you be the safest person out there and you separate yourself six feet minimum from every other protester and you have your mask on and you do not take it off. And I said, I mean, it's one thing it's one thing to put yourself in danger, you know, against people being violent towards you. But it's another thing to knowingly put yourself in a place where you're you could get sick. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what a strange time and conversation to have to be having yeah okay i am i'm super anxious super anxious i mean it makes my stomach turn to think how many people are going to get sick just to be able to express their their feelings and their their opinion and their and their need for change and i said to her i said you know what needs to happen is change and we need to 
all participate in that change, but we also all need to keep each other safe. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I looked mine up um, for today and it's mine is the best science and technology choice. Women. Okay. Yeah. From 2019. So just so we're clear. Great. Yeah. I, I, what a strange time. One of the conversations I had with Matilda yesterday was, you know, I know everybody was posting the um, black page on their social media yesterday, which I totally think is great. Um, but I told her, I want you to remember, think about it in terms of me. I have 30 people that I, I let look at my Instagram page. Right. It doesn't affect anything. It it doesn't make change. It just makes me feel better for having done that. And I said, if you really want to affect change, you go do something. You pay money to someplace so people have access. You sign petitions. You vote. But don't think for one second that putting something on social media is going to affect change. Do not ever think you're done because you're not. You know, if that I start. By all means, start that way. But you are far, far from done and far from having affected change. So, again, my two cents. And I think that that's true about, like, anything. There's not, like, a single thing to do where you're like, I did this and now I'm done. No, Um, but social media gives you the impression that you're making an impact. And the reality is you're not. You're just not. And I said, you know, when you think about it, the people who follow you, And the people with whom you interact think the same way you do. So it's the entire you're preaching to the choir conversation when you only post on social media. You know, it's like when we talk about the importance of libraries. Well, you and I, of course, are going to have passionate discussions about the importance of libraries. (laughs) But then when we talk to Joe Blow on the street who doesn't care about books or reading or anything, that guy's not going to have the same opinion. So if I were to convince that guy of the importance of libraries, then I have made a change. But if I talk to you, that doesn't mean anything. That's nothing. I mean, not not talking to you part. But But anyway, that's my that's my, you know, parental lesson is that posting something on social media does not make a change, does not affect change. And if you actually want to make change, you have to, like the song says, you have to be the change. You have to be what changes. So I was thinking of like, um, like, I guess it's the same, like man in the mirror. Exactly. And that's, you know, I'm sure that Gandhi played into that somehow, you know, (laughs) he did because I'm sure that's where he got that little notion. But that's, right. that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 uh, it's, I want people that age to recognize that the world is bigger than what's virtual. The world is bigger than what you post on your social media. The world actually needs participation and it needs you outside and it needs you talking with real people for change to happen. Anything yeah. else is fiction. I definitely agree with that. But I also think I think I don't think that you can just assume that everyone that you like are follow or friends with on social media does like agree with you about things think the same way. I think a lot of people do assume that and then get surprised when 
Um, right. So, but at the same time, let me just throw this out here because you know I quit using um, Facebook because of all of the turmoil emotionally it was causing me, knowing opinions of people that I didn't realize what their opinions were. It made me feel real bad <laughs> about <laughs> being related to them. And you know. Yeah, so sometimes I think just saying something, if it's not going to change anybody's mind, mm-hmm. at least, you know, they see that, like, oh, I might have assumed that you agreed with me about this topic, and now I see that you don't. Right. But so you have a choice, Right. So if you have something on your thing that is in disagreement with the the thinking of somebody else who reads your stuff, they will unfollow you or and you'll never know. You know, they will quit reading your stuff. They'll hide your posts. You'll never know. So you're not affecting change. All you've done is make them stop paying attention. That's my opinion. The goal is to be within that group of 30 that I let see my travel photos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, and I would love to be able to say that social media is a great way to, to, um, educate, but I sit here and I watch and listen to how social media is used and it is completely your choice, what you listen to. It's not, it's not unbiased. It's not every side is shown. It is, I will feed you all day and night what you want to hear. And that doesn't expand your mind. That doesn't make you think. It just reaffirms your already set in stone beliefs. So. But that's true with like all media. Like you can definitely. It's true. But social media is feeding it to you, feeding it to you. You know, whereas the TV, you got to turn it on and seek it out. This, they're sending it straight to your, your page. It's, it's for you. They, they, they checked you out (laughs) and now that's all you get, you know, and so that's, that's, that's not good for critical thinking at all. That's good for really making you mad. (laughs) That's, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, everybody, everybody has different reactions to, to how, how they use it and, and whether or not they see it as a tool. As a matter of fact, I have a Facebook page that's associated with my name, uh, for the library because I think it's super important to get our programs out into people's boxes and, and to have them see what's happening at the library. But I don't ever, ever post anything personal on there because it's not my page it's the library page yeah so but if everybody used it for that i'd love social media (laughs) (laughs) then it would just be like a you know a community board (laughs) yeah it would just be like a bulletin board a for sale 10 speed bike (laughs) (laughs) that's a good deal (laughs) Um, Paige keeps trying to knock my phone out of my hand. I was wondering why you were like, floating around. She's like, quit looking at that thing. They took me. You need a bath, Paige. You're dirty. Um, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, like last time when we tried to record before we were talking about, um, mental health books. Mm-hmm. Um, still important. <laughs> It's still important. Well, and, and I think. But I'm like, know, oh, I wish we had something else to talk about. Like, you know, right. more of the moment. 
book we were reading or something. Well, I don't know. I mean, this brainwash book that I was reading is is teaching you how to release things that have been part of you for a very long time and teach you how to reuse your brain in a way that's better for your entire being. So I think that's appropriate because a lot of this, uh, a lot of what we are seeing and have seen our entire lives is taught. That is all taught behavior and it's taught reactions and it's and it's people allowing things to happen because that's the way it's always been. Well, I mean, now it's the time to teach your brain. Don't do that. Don't think that's okay. React differently and be against it rather than be complacent. And, you know, I mean, it's taking my, my topic just a little bit off, but at the same time, you know, brainwashes is, is exactly what we are. We're all brainwashed to believe that that behavior is okay. So and that's, I mean, that's the other thing about being a parent to, to young voters. I, you know, obviously I have a thing about voting and I have, I have young adults who are now voters and I want them to understand that the, the voting counts most locally. Nationally is a, a direct reflection on what your local community looks like. So if you aren't fighting for your city council or your county commissioners to be and do everything that you expect of them, then you are not doing what voting is supposed to be doing. Everybody, well, not everybody, lots of people say voting doesn't count for anything, but that's baloney. What counts is voting locally to make sure that your voice is heard where it really matters every single day. And so I've been teaching them that and so that they understand it's important to vote for who you think should be our president. But it's more important to vote for the person who's controlling your tax dollars locally so that they're doing what you expect an elected official to be doing. So, I mean, and that's another message from all the moms. (laughs) All of the young voters, it matters most right in your own backyard. If you're not taking care of what happens right here, right now, it doesn't matter what happens nationally. Nationally does not affect you every single day of your life. So there you go. Another public service announcement. (laughs) From Elizabeth. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this, it is a disgusting and unfortunate fact that what we're experiencing now with the protests is not new. It is not new. We've seen these protests many times. And that is horrible that we haven't enacted change to a degree that actually makes a difference. And I'm hoping that, you know, as people become more aware of what they're doing that's causing this, this, um, cyclical kind of violence and and deep-seated bias. I I just hope that as people become more aware and self-aware that we can actually uh, uh, cause change. But if you're not actively seeking to cause change, you will not. Period. Again, public service announcement. (laughs) But you know me, I'm all about looking for what's out there that's better. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not trying to make life better for everyone, then what's your point? Why are you even doing anything? I mean, seriously, <laughs> that's how I live my life. So I just wish everybody would. I wish everybody would just say, you know what? We should all be doing this because it's the right thing to do and because everybody will be better off. Um, we are putting out some 
um, book lists and stuff, though, if people are are interested in and in educating themselves on different issues. Um, I know there's one up on Overdrive right now on Washington Anytime Library, but all of those books are checked out and have like weeks and weeks of wait time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have some in the library. We will be checking out to people. You can pick them up at drive through very soon. Um, so you can check out our online catalog for that. Or if you want to spend your money, uh-huh. um, you can use Libro FM, which we do. Right. Um, I actually got some really good ones because um, the June our, ones just came out. Yeah. Our June list uh, of our librarian audiobooks just came out yesterday. Yeah, I picked some. Um, where's one? Uh and then I started listening to um, Stamped, which was uh, like a, um, what do we say, a- ALC, Advanced Listening Copy, mm-hmm. we got last month. Um, this is the new one. This is called Deep Delta Justice. Did you? Yeah. Pick- yeah. I got that one. Looks good. Um, that was probably the one I'm most excited about this month. Although The Vanishing Half, that's a novel. Um, and I, for audiobooks, I think I've probably mentioned this before. I prefer listening to nonfiction than fiction in an audiobook, and I don't know why, really. But um, The Vanishing Half is a novel, so but it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. The one I am, because um, I got the... Uh, Deep Delta Justice, that looks really good. But I also got um, Out of My Skull, The Psychology of Boredom. Whoa. I'm excited about that one. I might get bored while I'm reading it, but... (laughs) (laughs) You remember the 24 Hours in Ancient Rome that we got, that was available last month? Did you see that one? Did you download that? Mm, one? I don't. I didn't download it. Okay. I don't. It was pretty good. It was. It was a uh, um, described life in Rome based on old um, texts and and histories and uh, artifacts. And it went from you know in the evening all the way to the next evening, and, and it showed different uh, people in different sectors of the community and how their life looked for an hour of the day. It was pretty interesting. And, and they had little you know anecdotes on the side and little narrations of people's diaries on the side. So it was pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it was fun. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was one I was looking at where, why can't I think of what it was? Maybe it's, so it's not showing on my page, but I think it might be like a preview one and I can't remember, but it looked like the format was kind of interesting how they were going to be doing it. But of so course the, now, the one that had the, the first half was one person and then you flip it over and the other, the other half is on the yeah, other Yeah. I was like, yeah. how are they going to do that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> um, so uh, I can talk about the book that I uh, read for mental health awareness month. Mm-hmm. Um, which was, man, I forgot. I gave it to my mom to read, uh-huh. um, so I don't have it here with me today. Oh, no. um, but it was maybe you should talk to someone. Oh, um, 
And let me pull that up so I can say the author's name. Oh, I wrote it down in my little bookie. Lori Gottlieb. Lori Gottlieb. And the subtitle is A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed. Um, and that is a part memoir about her becoming a therapist, which is kind of an interesting story of her trying to figure out, like, what it is she likes about, like, the different things that she does. Because mm-hmm. she started off in film, like, as an assistant producer or something like that. And she really liked, like, the storytelling aspect. And as she, like, moved up in in that field, she, like, was less and less working with, like, individual stories. And so she mm-hmm. thought she moved to television and she'd get that part back. Um, and she worked on, like, a couple of big shows, I think, for NBC, including ER. And then while she was working for ER, she spent a lot of time, like, visiting emergency rooms for, like, research and inspiration for plot lines and stuff mm-hmm. and found herself doing that just like more and more like even separate from doing research for ER and someone said to her like why don't you go to medical school you seem to like be more interested in this than mm-hmm. you are in television television <laughs> <laughs> so she did go to medical school but right before she started to do her um residency residency she was like, I don't think like there's a place for me to go as a doctor where I could make money and also treat people like, you know, on a personal level, which is what she'd wanted to do. Um, so she said she was like, maybe because she wrote like during all of her things that she was doing. Um, she's like, maybe I can start a small practice and then keep writing to like support my career as a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, which is not kind of like the opposite of what a lot of people do. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and then, uh, through all this, um, I think she had like a mentor or somebody who was like, maybe you should be a therapist. And so when she kind of that got that in her head, everything kind of clicked that this was a way that she could work one-on-one with people and really get to know them and hear their personal stories and help them. And that's why she, she kind of got into that career, but it wasn't, I think until she was in her late thirties or forties, um, because she'd had all these other careers that she got to do that. So in this book, so she talks about that, her backstory, and, um, also the, like event in her life that led her to seek their, P herself, um, which was that her fiance just kind of what seemed to her as out of the blue said that he wanted to like end their relationship. And so she goes to see somebody and kind of uses her experience and like the experiences of like four people that she treated to talk about like the therapeutic experience and what it's for, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. She says that she like, so all of the, like, client experiences that she talks about in her book, she, like, explicitly asked them for permission mm-hmm. to talk about them, to write about them. And she also, like, changed their names and, like, mixed up, you know, different people and made, like, little amalgamations. Okay. Clients. Um, but even so, one of the people she treats is, like, a, really successful big time like TV producer. And I was like, 
is this a person that I would know? <laughs> but maybe it's not. He's not really a TV producer, and that part's made up. There's no way to know. But I really, I really enjoyed the book. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I feel sad. I'm, I started reading the book, and I did enjoy the parts that I read, um, but uh, I was unable to continue as other things took priority. So. <laughs> but I do think I, I think I would have enjoyed finishing it, um, and may pick it up again later when my brain is not running a thousand miles an hour. So it's kind of funny trying to to read mental health books. <laughs> Yeah. When when you've got so many things going on that you you recognize you probably need the help that they're talking about, mm-hmm. but you don't have time. You know, maybe that's another lesson is that you know recognizing that you need to do something for your own self care, yeah, and doing it and not just recognizing it, but actually doing it. So, but sometimes I think that just means like being okay with. Like, I have so many books that I haven't finished or have started and sat down that, you know, I plan. It's not like the fault of the book. Right. I'm not finishing it. It's just I'm so distracted and um, it, it's hard to focus sometimes on stuff. It, it seems so unimportant compared to, like, everything else that's happening Incorrect. that deserves our attention. But, you know, like, that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. And Except that's I the other can't thing. Read 250 books every year. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, nobody even told you you had to, you know, I mean, <laughs> so you too get to decide not to do it. It, and it's okay. Yeah. I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think that, um, uh, reading it all right now, aside from CDC regulations and guidance yes. for closing yes. and yeah. opening, I think we're reading plenty right now. <laughs> um, I know I am reading a lot, but it's like, you know, the paper. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I was like, oh, and because I, I was talking about summer reading, which is starting June 19th, uh-huh. and how it's longer this year, like more days, but with the same amount of requirements. And part of that is me thinking, like, if everyone else is reading, like I'm reading, uh-huh. Which, you know, then they just need more time to, you know, to, to fit in the, the goals that they would normally fit in in a smaller amount of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this kind of just talks about my opinion about change. And we all know I love change. Change is really good. It makes you it makes you uncomfortable and it makes you seek out new input. And that helps everyone, in my opinion. Um, but this opportunity that we have right now to make changes that we weren't even thinking about is spectacular. I, I mean, I think we should all just be embracing it for the possibilities that it holds. And, and I think everybody, and this is, you know, in every profession and in every situation, I mean, we're pretty lucky in that our business didn't close and we're not out of work. And, you know, so I, I recognize there's a little bit of, of, um, worse things could have happened and there are people in worse situations, but what an opportunity to say, you know what, everything I've believed before now is different. Every single thing that I placed all my security on is different. And so now what can I do now that I don't have to think inside those same square walls? What can I do to stretch out further? So and to think like what are the things that are like the most important? What are our priorities? What are our values? Um 
and was the work that we were doing before really working, you know, towards those goals. Right. And not only that, but had we become so complacent in doing the things we've always done that we weren't even really reaching for things outside of that norm. And, you know, I know that we do creative things, but when you think about it all as a whole, it's all the same stuff. It's it's the same pattern, the same programming. And this is an opportunity for us to think way outside of what was traditional and look at it in terms of future programming and future endeavors instead of it's a just right now kind of thing. It doesn't have to be for just right now. This could be what helps us propel change in how we deliver services forever. So I think it's great. I, psh, let's do it. Let's just do it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I think that that the possibility is extreme and recognizing that there are different ways of delivering services in a quality kind of way is paramount because before we would have hemmed and hawed about doing something new, doing something that made us nervous. And now with all of the uncertainty around, we'll just do it, see what happens, see what sticks and see what's the, the most positive contribution and just run with that. But try everything because we can't decide for people what they're going to like, you know, so we have to try everything and let them decide what they're going to like. That's that's always been my flex. It's like, well, the worst that can happen, you know, I guess there are things that could happen. But is that, you know, we just don't do it anymore. Like we just stop doing something that doesn't work. And that's fine. Yeah, and that's fine. I think that we are a little bit better, uh, more aware, conscientious of, of what we're doing in that if we don't think it's going to be received, we don't actually spend the time doing it. We right. research what people have said, what people believe, and then we try to apply what programming we want to present to those requests. You know, I, I, I don't think we ever just throw something together and say, we're doing this and we don't really care what they think. <laughs> no, but I mean, like sometimes you hear, you know, I don't know, would people really do this or I think it's just sometimes you just have to try something and see how it goes mm-hmm. um, rather than just letting like uh, uncertainty like paralyze you from from trying things. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I, I think there's a little bit of freedom in in right now, too, in that we don't have the same access to people that we have always had. You know, we can uh, contact them electronically or by phone, but we don't have the day-to-day interaction of opinions and comments and and conversations where we would receive the input that we use to determine programming or develop a new a new project. And so, I think right now we really are kind of just treading water in terms of what the people want. And we're hoping, fingers crossed, that what we're doing is what they want or need or expect. And um, right now is the time to try anything. Just try anything that you think is going to be beneficial. And then the reaction we'll get will tell us whether or not we continue with it. (laughs) But, you know, having that people connection, having that 
conversation with people on a regular daily basis really limits um, how much extra programming we we actually are going to do because we rely so heavily on the needs of the community to provide programming that they have requested that um, you know, we just kind of have to go on tradition a little bit and historical needs and what we perceive as needs coming up and develop programming from there. So, but I'm all, I, I miss, like you were saying, I miss having those conversations with people every single day because as you know, people don't hesitate to tell you what they think when they're at the library. (laughs) And so, you know, we get unfiltered comments and inputs uh, when we're talking face to face with patrons and yeah. we're, not, we're not getting that now. So, and when I say unfiltered, I am not joking. Um, <laughs> we know stuff. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, like a confessional quality to talking to your librarian sometimes. Yeah. I, I know things about people that I just wish I didn't sometimes, but <laughs> But that's okay. I mean, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind them needing to tell me these things. I'm, I, I sometimes have visuals that I can't quite erase from my brain. But aside from that, we're good. So, do we want to talk about your choice award winner now? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about my choice award winner now. So I read Recursion by Blake mm-hmm. Crouch. And this is so the um, maybe you should talk to somebody. I'd got an advanced copy at ALA Midwinter last year, um, which seems like five years ago. Um, and I hadn't read it. It's just been sitting there on my bookshelf full of books I got at that conference and hadn't read yet. Um, and this is another one I got there. And I actually met Blake Crouch on the showroom floor Ooh. and he signed my book. He was, it's funny cause he's like a really popular author. They've made like TV shows based off of his books. So he's not like, you know, like a newbie. Right. Um, but when I like saw him, cause I go out there and I'm looking for like teen novels mostly. Um, he's just like sitting there by himself. So I was like, Oh, okay. Like, like crouch book. Um, I follow a, a booktuber who, like talks about his books and recommends them all the time. So I was like, I should read one of these books because mm-hmm. I trust her opinions. Uh-huh. Um, so I said that to him. And so he wrote in my book to Becky, here is the first taste Blake Crouch. Like once I read this book, I'm just going to have to read all of his books. And I really liked it. It's so it's like a, it won the science fiction category for the Goodreads Choice Awards last year. It came out last June and it's also kind of thrillery not the whole time but there's a significant chunk mostly in the middle of the book where it's kind of like see to your pants type of stuff that's nice um but it's got so much going on i feel like i can't say too much about it Ah. (laughs) but um you're following two characters pretty much so at the beginning of the book the one character, Barry, is a detective for the NYPD, and he is called um, as a first responder to a suicide attempt, the person who is, like, at the top of the building, of a building mm-hmm. threatening to jump. And so he's the first person 
who goes up there and talks to her. Mm-hmm. And she tells him that she had woken up with a whole new set of memories of like the last 20 years of her life where she had been married to this man and they had had a son and she had been really happy. And it was like a life for her that was like way better than the life that she is in now. Oh. And so she, especially because she had a son and now he's like disappeared. Oh. So that's why, and she went to talk, she like found the man that she had been married to and went to talk to him and he, you know, said that he didn't know who she was and he didn't recognize her and stuff and she didn't believe him. And so she was going to end her life. Whoa. And at the, she talks, they have a, a like a word for it, um, because it's like a, a thing that's happening. It's called a false memory syndrome. Uh-huh. So it's like something that's been existing for a few years in this book by this time it happens and he isn't. Able, the police officer Barry isn't able to save her, um, but he learns enough that he is starts to do his own like on the side detective work about what she's talking about. So she he goes to see um, her not husband, <laughs> her not husband. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of gets him in the the attention of this organization. And the other storyline is a woman named Helena, uh-huh. who is a scientist. And so the Barry part starts in 2018 and her part starts in like 2007, I think. Um, and she's been doing all of this research on human memory because her mom has Alzheimer's and she's trying to find like a cure or something to, uh-huh. to treat it. Okay. And she's approached... Um, at the end of uh, this research fellowship where she's kind of waiting to see who else is going to give her money to continue her research um, by this guy who works for this, you know, billionaire who wants to hire her to, like, come out to this big, like, aircraft carrier he's repurposed offshore to, like, or is an oil rig? Some giant thing that he's repurposed for her to, like, live at and do her research at under like a really strict like NDA with like unlimited amount of money for, you know, several years. And she decides that, yes, this is something that she's going to do. And so she moves out there and over the next like two years develops this uh, technology that can map memories and then like re-trigger them in your mind so that when you remember them, it's like really immediate. And then it turns out, of course, that this billionaire doesn't have necessarily like the most, you know, altruistic motivations for this machine. Um, and he won't let her leave. So I think that's all I'm going to describe about that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but it's really, it's like, it's, it's like about memory, but also other stuff. Uh-huh. It's really science, like, yes. So there's like, you know, an organization that they're trying to like take down or infiltrate or whatever. So there's like a thriller piece there in the middle, but they're also trying to solve like this big scientific problem. That's kind of like the, you know, the bulk of the book. Right. 
I really liked it. It was cool. There was a few points where I was like, I had to stop and like get everything right in my brain. I'm like, okay, so this is what this does. And this is why this. And I think too, if it's like time travel-y, it gets time travel-y. And I think for people who are really into like picking apart like time travel paradoxes in like popular culture, <laughs> um, those kind of people really like this book because I think he does a good job of like playing with those ideas. Right. Okay. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. So I recommend it. Mm-hmm. You want me to tell you about mine now? Okay. Okay. So I read um, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs by Caitlin Dowdy, who is a mortician. And so this book is broken down into chapters, and each chapter is a question that was posed by some of her youngest fans with questions. <laughs> so they're kids that are writing these questions in. And That's so some exactly. of the questions are... Um, Will my body sit up or speak on its own after I die? And then how does a whole adult fit in a tiny box after cremation? And if I died making a stupid face, would it be stuck like that forever? <laughs> and can we give grandma a Viking funeral? <laughs> There's, they're hilarious. Yeah. Can everybody fit in a casket? What if they're really tall? <laughs> So it, it each chapter uh, gives a description. First, it answers the question um, straightforward. She doesn't beat around the bush. It's all, you know, it's described exactly as she would see it at work. So um, when I die, will my cat eat my eyeballs is one of the questions that was asked. And so she talks about different um, instances where pets did eat their owners, but it wasn't in the case of the dogs that would eat their owners, it was less of a case of eating and more of a case of the dog wanting to wake the owner up. And so they gradually start biting more deeply and deeply and deeply. And then it turns out they actually take flesh off of the owner because they're just trying to wake them up and nothing seems to be working. Oh, that's so. so sad. But in terms of the cat, if the body is, is, um, if the body is sitting there and and nobody retrieves it and it starts to decompose, the cat might go over there and take chunks off just to see what it tastes like. So. Yeah, well, so they, they would be in a survival situation. Exactly. No one's taking yeah. care of the cat. Exactly, exactly. And then, of course, um, dogs would just be loyal and true. Right, and it would, you know, want to play, but in playing, it would eat you. So, mm. you know, <laughs> I think that uh, is either way. I I won't have either one of them, so it won't matter. So um, she also talked about the Viking funeral. Can we give Grandma a Viking funeral? First of all, she pointed out that Viking funerals are not the same as what they show us in television, where they put the body in a boat and then shoot the arrow and it catches on fire and they die in their fiery, watery grave. She said that just isn't even real. <laughs> that, that can't even happen because if you shoot a, a one fiery fire arrow into a a boat with with you know kindling in it in a dead body, that it's not enough heat to actually keep the fire going to actually you know, burn the body. So it's fictitious what they show us on television. So then she goes into a whole description of what a Viking funeral actually looks like and the amount of wood one needs on a pyre to 
burn a body. And then she references India where they do outdoor cremations all the time. And, and, you know, the amount of wood needed at what temperature for how long to be able to burn an entire corpse. And so, um, she answers the question straightforward. She uses great vocabulary. I was, I was writing down some of the words that she was using. Um, and she says, uh, a lot of things relating to death and decomposition and putrefica- putrefication. Mm-hmm. And, um, she calls, she calls your body your flesh case. <laughs> I loved the vocabulary that she used because there was nothing. I mean, it was, it was some of the things were gross just because the nature of them is gross. Um, the, the way that your body discolors and, and takes mm-hmm. on new shapes and how, how there has to be a certain amount of bending and cracking in, in, you know, mortuaries and that, mm-hmm. um, in some, in, and there's, there are laws that protect corpses from, from being abused. And so she pointed out some of those laws and, and then she pointed out different ways that those laws have been broken over the years. <laughs> you know, it, Starting with grave robbing for for mm-hmm. um, medical science, Research, yeah. uh, and then coming up into to later in days where where the question about what if somebody's really tall, do you cut their legs off? And somebody actually did that. They they got a really tall person and they cut their legs off at the knee and just tucked the legs right next to the rest of the body and buried it together. And um, they uh, didn't tell the family about it. They just only opened the top half, half of the wow. casket for the viewing. And so then they learned about it later and they, and he was exhumed. This gentleman was exhumed and, and indeed the legs were still just tucked up under his armpits. So they got in big trouble for that. Yeah. It seems like you would just sell them a bigger casket. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the, I mean, cause you didn't go into the whole details about right. the funeral. The whole story, but, yeah. yeah, exactly. But, um, she just talked about how they had violated that person's, you know, right to, uh, a non um, molested death, I guess, or a, a corpse without being violated in uh, gruesome kinds of ways. Yeah, I'm sure there's like a technical term for that. Yeah, and and I'm sure she said it to me. I just psh, don't remember. But I had some friends in college that worked at a funeral home. They lived like above the funeral home, and then they worked there. Um, and they had some interesting, like, stories or, like, you know, inside knowledge. About how things work, yeah. Of how well, it works, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and I liked this book. Each chapter is a different question that someone has asked. And so these are real questions that, that young people have sent to her to get a response. And, and it's well, you know, it, she has been doing this for a long time. So she has a lot of knowledge about the profession, but she also put in a lot of research time on, on the mechanics and anatomy and history of the different um, situations that were being asked. And so um, she did research on mummification to talk about the different ways in different cultures, how people have been mummified and then how in um, uh, today's world, if somebody is killed in a certain place with the right conditions, how their bodies can become mummified and, and um, without it being, you know, on purpose. Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
the chapters, it, you know, and, and it depends on the question. You know, sometimes sometimes the chapters are super long and have a lot of description. But then, you know, the next chapter might be a super short, like the chapter for uh, will I poop when I die? You know, I mean, that was a pretty short chapter. <laughs> Not a whole lot of stuff you could go into about that. <laughs> so, but anyway, it was a great book and, and it would be fine for all kinds of different ages. Um, and it was, it was, I felt like I learned things about dead bodies and I felt like I learned thing of, things about funeral practices. And I also felt like I was really entertained and that the, the pace of the book was, engaging and i also found that i was more interested in some questions than others and so the book isn't set where i have to read one chapter um and then the next i can jump around any way that i want because each chapter answers one question yeah so so it can be also like the reference book yeah it could yep. i didn't yeah, realize fun. about that book that it was so family friendly yeah, it is very, I mean, you know, if you want to talk about death and dead bodies with kids, it's great. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, and the questions came from kids. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have questions like, why don't bugs eat people's bones? I mean, that's a good question. Why don't bugs eat people's bones? You'll have to get the book and read it to <laughs> find out. Yeah, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And, and it was nice because, you know, sometimes, well, it's nonfiction. And so it has the potential for being boring and over thought. And this wasn't. It was great. It was taking a pretty hefty subject like death and what happens to your dead body and making it, you know, I, believe that everything that she described is true. I believe that she put the right, you know, research into it and and all of the things. Nothing was, you know, fanciful or it was all just straightforward, just straightforward information yeah, yeah. that she presented in a very uh, entertaining way. So you yeah. also recently read Stiff, right? Yeah, I did. Are we, but so are, are we did... saving that for our one word title book? Oh. Yeah. We could. Well, that's what I read it for. That's okay. the topic. I was just wondering I, how they compare. Do you prefer one over the other? Or I, I or will. Um, they're different audiences. That This one is definitely um, trying to reach more age levels. Yeah, this one is not. Um, and Stiff is, is, I like them both, um, but they both, they have different um, perspectives. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah, but I can talk about Stiff, and then I'll compare the two of them more thoroughly. In a future episode. In a future episode. <laughs> but I'd recommend it. I highly recommend it. And if you've got curious kids, like Axel's age, 11-ish, mm-hmm. I think they'd get a kick out of it. I think he'd really like it. Cool. So what do you want to talk about next time? Do you want to talk about the one-word book next time? We could do the one-word book next time. Since we brought it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I've already read it. I know I've already read too. that one. Yeah, I'll need to do a bit of refresher. I read it in January, I think. Yeah, I was I was just thinking I read mine months ago. No, it wouldn't ago. have been December because it couldn't have counted. So you I can't it. do that. <laughs> oh, that would have been cheating. So what if I read it in January? Yeah, I read Dig by A.S. King. 
for our mock prints that my book club does, and then it won the prints award. So I'll do a little refresher on that. I don't think my dad has my copy. My dad has my copy of all my books. I know. I'm still waiting for the toll. I know. But that's okay. I'll, I I did check it out, and then it was at the same time that we were doing the 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 ones that we just finished, and so I didn't even have time to read it. So trying to find my notes on stiff. Oh, yeah, and I'm curious. I mean, because because you know my opinion of the the I really enjoyed the scythe. That was a really good book, and um, it, it was uh, fast to read and entertaining, and I liked the story. And then I read the second one. The uh, what is it? Thunderhead. And I, which I mentioned to you, I was less impressed, whereas Mm -hmm. you liked it more. So Uh I'm curious to see how the third one closes this up for me. So, yeah. So we'll see. So Stiff actually was, um, I'm looking at my notes right now. So the Stiff was talks about what happens to your body when you donate it to science. Oh, okay. So the the perspective is just slightly different. The other one was just, you know, what happens to your body when you die. And then this one is, what do they do with your body when you donate it to science? Mm-hmm. Oh, there were, I'm now remembering some of the stories that were in that book. <laughs> There's like a little, a little bit in the, uh, maybe you should talk to somebody where she's talking about being in medical school and working with um, cadavers. Uh-huh. It's a small part, though. It's enough. It's enough yeah. for me. Yeah, well, and, and the author of Stiff wasn't a doctor. She just was writing a book on dead people, and so then she had to get permission to go into these cadaver yeah. classes. And um, she said she said that... Uh, you know, the residents aren't necessarily prepared for them. And she certainly wasn't prepared for some of the things that she saw. And then to see people nonchalantly grabbing brain matter and moving it around in cups, you're just like, when do you really get to that point where that's just what you do today? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so there's a lot about working on a human body that people just, we just don't even think about because we don't have to. She talked about how they would take, like, a piece of of the body and, like, put it in, like, a dish or whatever. And, yeah, they would just just to see if, like, you could look at it and identify it without knowing already, like, where it came from. That You know, this is important stuff for our Yeah, you know, with my pancreas. If my pancreas is over there on that table, I want you to tell what that came from. Yeah, I want you to know. (laughs) Put it back. (laughs) Anyway, that'll be a good talk. <laughs> More dead body talk. It'll be great. It will be great. <laughs> yeah. So we're set then. We're good for today. We had, you'd recommend both of your books? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, you know, I didn't talk a whole lot about brainwash, but I would recommend people taking the time to find books that help you calm your brain. I, and I will say that sections of brainwash were great for that, but then other sections had a different agenda. So, you know, read some of the chapters, absorb it, and then leave the other chapters behind. So 
Take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. And that's, I mean, we say that about every book, that each one of us has a different reason for reading it, and we're going to each get something different out of it. So, you know, mine might be saltier than yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I would say, you know, if brainwash isn't your cup of tea, it's still good to find books about how to keep yourself sane. So <laughs> you find the ones that work for you. And then I highly recommend the Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs book because it was great. It was fun to read. Great vocabulary. If you're learning um, uh, how to increase your vocabulary and you particularly want to talk about, you know, rotting, it's a great book. <laughs> but it's clever. She's very clever and she's very entertaining. So I would say read that one for sure. Great. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening to your show. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Elizabeth. Bye-bye. Bye. Studio time for Your Shelf or Mine is donated by KLOG, Cook and Country, and 101.5 The Wave. We at the Longview Public Library thank our local stations for their ongoing support. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McEldry from A Song for You. Find Megan on Facebook or Twitter at Meg McEldry or online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McEldry. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldry. You need a bath page. You're dirty.